Welcome to our podcast, Conversations at EBC. We trust that you find the following message empowering and encouraging in your pursuit of God and in His pursuit of you. All right, so um, I always get a little excited when we start a new series, and today that's exactly what we're doing. We're starting a new series called Experiencing God. And um, I'm thankful to the um, numbers of life groups who are going to be going through the material. Um, and so if you're not a part of a life group and would like to be discussing more of the things that we're talking about in our sermon series, um, you can uh, let us know that you'd like to be a part of that and join in the discussion with a number of our life groups. And uh, I'm always looking, not just in terms of teaching material and teaching through scriptures, I'm always aware of what it is that God might want to be doing in our lives and through our lives because sermon series and, and sermon talks really aren't just about granting us new information. We, we actually live in a day and a time now where you could actually access almost any piece of information other than something that's like NASA classified or something, but it's all out there on the interweb, right? It's, it's, it's all out there. So really it's not a matter of um, information anymore. For me now, our times together become more about transformation. And so, as we walk through this material and as we walk through the scriptures that are connected with this theme of experiencing God, I always look to see what the Spirit is doing. Uh, what is He doing in our midst? Who is He touching? How is He changing us? What's the invitation that is ahead of us for us to step into? And so we will be walking through this material over the next uh, couple of months, and I'm trusting and praying that we will have um, an ear to hear, as Jesus says to the seven churches in Revelation, and as Jesus says to those who are listening to him as he teaches his parables, let him or let her who has an ear to hear, let them hear. So... Again, it's not just about getting a head full of information, it's about getting a heart full of transformation. And so, let's just bow together in prayer and just submit and yield this whole series to God, shall we? Because um, I sometimes think that more information is not what we need. I really believe sometimes more information actually makes us think that we are actually walking with Christ and all we've actually got is a more of a head full of information. So... Let's just bow and we'll just submit ourselves and yield ourselves to this God, this Spirit, that we might be a people who experience His transformation as we walk through this material together. So let's bow our heads. Let's pray. God, as we begin this sermon series, Experiencing God, I trust and pray, Lord God, that not just the information itself will be um, new and fresh. And I pray, Lord God, that for those of us who have the responsibility of teaching and leading, including, Lord God, those who are our life group leaders who are participating in this uh, path and this um, set of information and Bible studies, I pray, Lord God, for good conversation. But God, my, my real prayer, and I think, Lord God, that this would be closer to your heart, is that somehow that as we are engaged by this, engaged by you, that this would be about transformation. And Lord God, that we would not just know about experiencing God, but in actual fact that we would grow deeper into our own experience of God. And not, the Lord, just uh, intellectually, but emotionally, mentally, truly, uh, spiritually, relationally, theologically, 
vocationally, God, in, in, um, in every aspect of our lives, may they become more and more affected by the fact that you are true, you are real, and you seek to walk on this earth through us, in us, and with us. So God, we yield ourselves, our agendas, and these next few months of teaching into your hands, and we pray this in the mighty and wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All right. So, I want to start with this incredible picture. Does anybody have any idea at all what that picture is? Um, all right, I can already tell you, you're going to be wrong. Okay, so <laughs> whatever thoughts you've got, you're wrong. Um, and you'll see why in just a moment. All right, take a second, look at it. What, what does it in actual fact look like? It's, it's kind of a weird picture, isn't it? Okay, so I'm going to give you a clue. It's found in Florence, Italy. Does that help? In a museum. Belongs to a person. His name is or was Galileo. That's his middle finger. <laughs> You have got no idea what I want to say about that. <laughs> that, is, uh, that is Galileo's middle finger. Um, long story. <laughs> um, Galileo, let's just get off that, that, that picture and let's go, go to this one here. Galileo, as many of you know, was um, an Italian. He was um, a philosopher, a mathematician. Uh, astronomer, and um, he was a staunch supporter of Copernicus. Now, some of you might be going like that. That actually means nothing to me. Um, and he actually spent the last 10 years of his life under house arrest by the Pope. And the Pope put him under house arrest because he was advocating a change in the scientific understanding of how the world works and how the planets rotate. Now, since, um, well, really, probably Plato was the first one to suggest it around 4th century BC, but around the 1st century AD, Ptolemy actually put together a model of the universe that is what's known as a geocentric... You didn't think you're going to be getting this today in church, did you? <laughs> it's like, man, and you thought preaching was boring. All right, um, he put together, around 100 AD, a model of the way that the universe works. It's called the geocentric view of our solar system. And it is as follows. is that the Earth is the center of everything, and everything else revolves around that. Suns, planets, everything. And so, this was Ptolemy. And this, this view about the way that the world functioned actually held through till about the 15th or 16th century when Copernicus actually proposed this model, which is the heliocentric model of our solar system, which is where the sun is at the center of our universe and the earth revolves around that. Now, the reason I've got the picture of Galileo up there and his, um, and his middle finger 
is because he was actually a staunch supporter of transitioning from the geocentric, the earth-centered view of the universe, to the sun-centered view of the universe. And actually, the way they got his finger was when they, when they buried him after his house arrest, um, he was there for a little while. They put together a museum in his name. In, in moving him to the museum, one of the grave diggers actually chopped off three of his fingers and kept them. As they're setting up this new uh, museum for him in his honor, and somehow now it's ended up in the museum, his middle digit. All right. So anytime we transition from an old model to a new model, there is pain connected to it, okay? Um, definitely the case. So here we have old model on the left. Earth is the center. The sun rotates around that. New model, which we end up with after some time, some pain, some transition, some theological argy-bargy, some ecclesiological argy-bargy, just and, and all kinds of stuff, till eventually we come to this new place. That's how things happen in science. So, oh, how did that picture get in there? <laughs> how? Whoops! I got, I got no idea how that got in there. Did, oh, did I tell you I've got a new grandbaby boy? <laughs> um, his name is Montgomery John Ackland, nine pounds, and everybody's doing well. Alyssa's still in the hospital. Um, she had a little bit of blood loss. They're working through that. But as far as we know, everything is fine. And he is just one big bouncing boy. But anyway, I had to somehow get that into the sermon. <laughs> and I will. Listen. Listen to this, all right? So eventually we want to end up here. Giving your life away, serving. At this point, this little guy, it's all about him. His needs, his wants, his security, his family... Um, and you know what? And to tell you, we're all happy to go there. All right? It's just the way it is with the baby. You're like, you, you just do it. You just go there. But at some point, if you grow up that way, and it continues to be that way, where even as a grown man, Monty ends up being all about him. It's all around me. Everything revolves around me. At some point, we would say that Monty has grown up stunted. Now, right now, it's perfectly okay. We get it. But at some point, we're hoping, and I, I don't know if he's going to look like that, dark-haired, a little bit of Filipino in there. I, I don't know. He, he, he could look like that. I hope he's a Christian. And I hope that he has made this shift over from being all about himself to actually understanding that we go through a transition, teenagers. Remember I said transition is difficult? And we come to a place where now we're serving and we're giving and we recognize the world does not revolve around us anymore. In fact, there's a larger narrative now that I'm revolving around. And that's the way that goes. Um, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is in 1 John chapter 2 where the Apostle John is writing. And he's writing in 1 John 2. He says, I'm writing to you, children, because your sins have been forgiven. It's all, that, all about me. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. That's strength. But I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Do you hear the transition? 
let me, let me walk you through it again and, and understand the transition from the, from the geocentric, the me-centered, everything revolves around me, to actually I revolve around something larger. There's, there's actually a larger narrative going on out there that, that my life revolves around. Listen again. I'm writing to you, children, because your sins are forgiven. And that's wonderful. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one, strength. But I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. You, you see the shift? You hear the shift? A child whose sins are forgiven, a young man who revels in his strength, to a father who now understands that his greatest privilege and his greatest calling is because he knows the father. Now the narrative has gotten larger. It has gotten bigger. And, you know, in any church family, uh, one like EBC or with a number of people, we're going to find people at all three stages of life. And actually we should. Um, if we're all babies and it's all about us and all we sing is a song about, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend or Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? The stuff that's about me and God, me and God, 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 me, me, me. Um, th there's an aspect to that which is absolutely true because one of the beautiful things about becoming a new believer in Christ is we understand that we are the apple of his eye and that he did die for my sins and that he does have a plan for my life and that he does dwell in me and that his grace is for me and that his spirit resides with me that Jesus walks alongside me me me, me. And right now, I trust that there's numbers of us in this room that are discovering that God is crazy about you and that he is all about you and that you are forgiven and that he is with you and in you and, and that his grace is around you. And you're at that stage of your Christian life, which is a geocentric one, where everything really is around you. And just like Monty, I'm probably going to call him Monty Python. I, I don't know. <laughs> My daughter may not like it if I call him that, but we'll just see. But right now, it is all about Monty. The nurses are around him. The parents are around him. We're around him. And we love it. It's as it should be. And there are some of you in your spiritual journey that are just there, and that's as it should be. And we're all about you, and God is about you, and God's Spirit is about you, and it's great to be a Christian, right? Great. But at some point, we grow up and we move into our adolescence, and we understand the strength that we have, and our accomplishment to do things, and our capacities to do things, and, and we do start doing things for God. And we go out and we do specific ministries and we think that we're going to set up these plans and we, go, we set up these blueprints and these, these uh, statements and, uh, and, and constitutions and all these things and we write down all the things that we are going to do for God. And we, we begin to express our strength spiritually where the evil one is overcome and where certain brokennesses in ourselves are healed, and where we see uh, certain darknesses around us overcome simply through the word of our testimony or through the capacity to serve with our hands and things like that. And we begin to understand that we have an identity in Christ and a strength in Christ, and we can do stuff. Boy, if we organize, 
and we get passionate and we get aligned and we use our resources, we can do stuff. And there are numbers of us right now in our Christian journey that are right there. We're doing stuff for God. And this, for many of us right now, is as it should be. Because this is part of how we grow. And we understand the strength that is ours through the one who abides in us. But the problem is a lot of us stay there. And the problem with a lot of our churches is we stay there. And we don't allow the natural narrative to take its course where we begin to understand that actually if we're going to move from a a geocentric model of our spiritual lives where everything revolves around us or everything now is about our strength, there actually is this tumultuous transition, this massive upheaval of everything we think and everything we know that becomes so hard and what we thought we knew, now we're not sure we know and where before we thought we had confidence now we're struggling with doubt and in the middle of all this god is doing this seismic surgery where all of a sudden the story becomes no longer about who we are and what we can do and now the story becomes about what who he is and what he's always been doing and how we can join him do you understand and this is where a number of us find ourselves today in this transition towards living, if we can run the scientific model again, towards running a model that is heliocentric, sun-centered, S-O-N-centered. And we understand that we have actually been called into a large, large narrative And that we are so blessed because we have been called into this and now we begin to rotate around Him. Now this transition is hard. This is not an easy thing for us to do. And this happens to us both individually and this happens to us corporately. And it is a journey of maturity. And so that's what this whole material is about. It's about recognizing that we're on this journey. And we start here as babes, as infants. And we move through this uh, transition of strength. Teenage boys, teenage girls, strength, influence. And then we come to the place of parenthood, where now it's, it's about who we know and not so much about who we are. This transition is hard, this transition is messy, and too often than not, we try to fix things when we're in the middle of it. But a part of our compassion for one another needs to be, as we're moving through these kinds of transitions, to understand what it means to walk alongside, to be with, like the Spirit is with us. And so... The seven realities that we're going to be looking at, um, I'm just going to take about 10 minutes now and show you how they have worked or how they did work, and we're going to model it just looking at the story of Moses real quickly and Moses' call. So if you've got your devices or if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 2. And we'll be looking at just some various scriptures through Exodus chapter 2 and Exodus chapter 3. By the way, um, 
there's something wonderful happening right now that many of you don't know of. You know, we've started an ESL ministry, um, which has been meeting for a couple of Wednesdays. We'll be getting people in from the community and people serving from our church. So right now, there's actually a group of people who are meeting down the hallway who are learning English, and they're using these sermon notes to actually learn to speak English. How cool is that? Because, and it's not that it's about the sermon. That's not the cool part. Please don't misunderstand me. The cool part is, is they're going to be working through the story of Moses with us. And they're going to be working through uh, John chapter 5, which we're going to be finishing on in just a moment. And so these are people, some of them who are not believers, not Christians, who are going to be journeying down the hallway down here as they learn English. Isn't that cool? I think that's really wonderful. So thank God for what's happening there. All right. So there are seven steps, seven stages, and I'll just take about a minute on each as we work through the story of Moses in terms of what these steps look like so we can kind of figure out where we are on the process and how we can join God in what he's doing. All right. So the first thing is God is always at work. So Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Actually, let's back up to the verse before that, chapter 2, verse um, or 23. During that long period, this is the Israelites' slaves, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out, and they cried for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and he was concerned about them. So we start the story, first of all, with the concern of God as he looks upon his people. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses. So God is at work, and now we start to see something very specific. We see an invitation given by God to Moses to join God in what it is that he's doing. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the fire on the bush, sorry, even saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Step two of this, process number one is God is always at work number two God issues us an invitation to join him in what he is already doing and here's what's happening now with Moses God is at work he's intending to set his people free and he pegs Moses and says Moses why don't you come join me in what I'm doing Moses said here I am Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, verse 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So at this point, God begins to communicate. So God speaks. And this is always going to be a part of the journey. God speaks in so many different ways. And we're going to be looking at four or five of those different ways in the month of September, actually. We're going to do a little mini-series called God Speaks. And we're going to be talking about how it is that God speaks to us and how we can listen to Him. 
And there are five or six primary ways that we're going to be challenging ourselves to become better listeners in terms of what God is saying to us. But let's continue on with the story now and see what God is saying to Moses. First of all, he identifies himself as God. Understanding that Moses' history of God is very mixed and jaded. His, his theology at this point is probably something of his Hebrew ancestry, but also probably very influenced by the Egyptian um, pantheon and the religious practices of the Egyptians as well. And so it is very important, you and I go, well, why would God need to introduce himself like that? Well, God always needs to introduce himself because whatever picture and model we have of God in our mind is always needing to be corrected. Always. We never have the full picture. So God first starts off by saying, by the way, Moses, here's who I am. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And so when God begins to speak, we, we, we understand that one of the responses of God's people often is fear. And uh, there's probably many, many reasons for that. And we will begin to address those in this series as we travel as well. Verse 7, the Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land that's a good and a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I, I'm going to read those verses again, and I want you to see how many times the word I occurs here. Are you ready? The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people, we'll, we'll include that one, in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. How many times did you count the word I? Five? All right, five times. How many times did you see the word Moses? None. None. So God is laying out his plan. He's actually going to be doing it through Moses, but whose plan is it and whose activity and whose agenda is it? It's God's. It's always got to be God's. And so Moses is probably the most predominant... Okay, so maybe we can... Abraham and Moses can duke it out on this, but Moses is probably the most predominant figure in the Jewish story before Jesus comes. And as his mission is being laid out before him, there is not one mention of his name. <laughs> there is five mentions of the personal pronoun relating to God. And so, guys, we've got to get a clue here. And the clue is this. It's about God. It's always been about God. It's always going to be about God. Maybe we should go with God. You hear what I'm saying? So I love what happens next. So God lays out this plan, and then Moses. So now Moses starts showing up, and let's, let's see what kind of comes to the table, what Moses brings. Are you ready? Verse 11. Moses says to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Okay, so Moses already missed the boat. I'll read that again, and I want you to see where Moses has already missed the boat. You ready? Here we go. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh 
and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Oh, Moses, so you're going to do this. Oh, oh, I see how this is going. You're going to do this stuff for God. Is that what's going to happen here? Oh. So something happens here. Moses starts to make excuses. And he's faced with the choice about what he chooses to believe. And this is the next step in the process. We will be faced with a crisis of belief. Whenever God comes, we catch a glimpse of what he's up to. He invites us into a relationship with him. He speaks to us. He speaks to us in a way we understand. He involves us in his work. And the next thing is crisis. And Moses is now faced with a crisis because God is about to ask him to go back to the very land from which he was pursued for his criminal, murderous activities. How's that for a life calling? God, just show me your will. Just show me your will for my life, Lord. It's going to be great. I know it is. I'm just excited about it. What, go back? Egypt? Uh, Lord, is, is there another plan? There's got to be another plan. Not Egypt, I'm sorry. Uh, those, do you know those guys want to kill me? Interestingly enough, whenever we ask the question, what is God's will for my life? Rarely do we think that it's going to involve difficulty or suffering. But, okay, and this is where we need to pay more attention to Dietrich Bonhoeffer and people like that. Because if we claim to be disciples of Christ... What was the will of God for God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, the Messiah of the world? What was God's agenda for his life? It was a cross, wasn't it? When Jesus talked about um, how the world will be changed, what types of words did he use to describe people like that in Matthew chapter 5? Meek, pure in heart, humble. We... We have too often created a confluence of Western capitalistic conquesting narrative with the Christian story. And the Christian story has nothing of that except that God conquers, except that God wins, except that God restores, except that God renews. How is it that God would use people who are constantly finding themselves in crisis to accomplish what he wants to do? And so we see it right here in the beginning. There's a crisis of belief. Uh, Verse 13, Moses said to God, Well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What's his name? What am I going to say? Um, chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered, well, what if they don't believe me or they listen to me? I say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what's that in your hands? Verse 10 of chapter 4, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. <laughs> I, I, I know how this conversation goes. I, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past Nor since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and of tongue. Verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Look, excuse, 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 excuse. 
Nah. <laughs> nah. That's in the Hebrew. Nah. Nefesh. <laughs> nah. There's always going to be a crisis of belief when God invites us to be a part of his plan. And this, I think, this next step is where a lot of us fail. We sense the invitation. We understand that our lives are meant to have a more God-centered orbit. We begin to learn to listen to him. He presents himself to us and says, here's what I'm doing. Here's where you can join me. And we hit this point of crisis of belief. And we refuse to make the adjustments that are necessary. Because as we'll learn in the material as we go through it, you cannot go with God and stay where you are. You cannot go with God and stay where you are. You will always need to make adjustments. And it was the same with Moses. What was the, what was the situation with Moses? He said, all right, after all the issues were done, after everything was settled, he said, Moses, so here's what you're going to do. I know you've got a family. I know you're actually making a living here. You've got a place in this little community in Midian. Your father-in-law is a big dog in town, and you kind of connect there, and uh, you, you, you've, you're really actually um, creating a community here. But, but I need you to uproot, and I need you to take your donkeys, uh, take your family, take your wife, take your children, and I need you to go back right into the snake pit. Will you take your family there for me, Moses? Because, you see, I need to free my people. It's always this wonderful narrative of the work is always God's. The power is always God's. But for some reason or another, he has wedded himself to us and our choices and our actions And so that the work of God can continue, he waits for us to make adjustments. And then as we do that, we find ourselves truly partnering with God, joining with him in his great work of reconciling the world to himself. So this is the overview of the series, and I I don't know if you can see that very well. And we're going to be going over and over and over this in the next few months. What we often want to do is we want to start with God in our relationship with Him and go straight over to here where we're following Him. But this, this is always the path, always. Um, and so we're going to be spending some time on what does it mean to have a personal and intimate relationship with God. Because if we don't get that part right, The rest of it doesn't matter. We're going to learn that God is inviting us to be involved with him in his work. We're going to be learning and embracing the fact that God speaks to his people, that this is not just a one and done thing, that God speaks, he continues to speak, and will always speak. He is a God who uses words to communicate to his people his heart and his will. So the question becomes for us, are we listening? What is stopping us from listening? And we'll be looking at what it means to hear God speak. Next thing is we're going to be celebrating these two things together. 
And some of you are right there right now. And I've got to say, you're kind of freaking out a little bit because you're going, oh man, he's going to go there. We are. We're going to spend a number of weeks there actually talking about what it means to be in crisis of faith and what it means to adjust your life to what it is that God could possibly be calling you to because you cannot go with God and stay where you are. And so at the end of this series, some of you are actually going to sense, not through me, but you're going to be starting to sense by God's Holy Spirit that you're being invited to something new, something maybe that you hadn't thought of, maybe something you were deeply afraid of, maybe something so wonderful you can't even begin to imagine it. How great would it be if we as a community are able to celebrate and gather around those of you who are in that space and affirm you and support you and pray for you as you make the adjustments you need to make so that you can go with God to whatever he's asking you to do. Wouldn't that be great? And the last thing after we've adjusted is we obey God and we experience his presence and his fullness. What I, what I love about this is this actually takes us further into our EBC vision statement, which is living God's story together. Because at the end of the day, everything we say and do, we have to be able to point it back and say, how does this connect with God's story? How does what we're spending our money on here connect with God's story? How does uh, these people that we're launching and into ministry, how does this connect with God's story? How does my life, as it stands in my family and in my job, connect with God's story? And so this, this is a, 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 can be a rough transition, people. And, and my, my experience is, as we move from a, a self-centered experience of God to the, the infant's, the child's experience of God, as we move through teenage strength, and then as we move eventually to the father or the mother's perspective of, you know what, um, John is writing to me because I know him who is from the beginning. I know him. And so wherever you are, I know that there's going to be something in this series for you. Um, let's bow our heads in prayer, and we're going to move now to a time of communion as we celebrate once again what it means to be in union with God. All right, let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Lord, as we uh, begin this series, um, I want to thank you, first of all, for what you have taught me, uh, myself and Laura, our family, through this process over decades, Lord. And um, certainly don't stand up here proclaiming to be any expert around this. Needless to say, Lord God, I think we, we get to point to this and we get to point to you and we get to see where we can hook into your story, your activity, your passions, your movement. And God, we, we pray that you would help us make the transition from self-centered faith to truly a God-centered faith. And I think a part of this, Lord God, becomes more and more palpable, more and more tangible, more real for us when we understand, Lord God, the privilege that it is to be in union with you. We are called, invited, spoken to, pushed into crisis, invited to make adjustments, so the Lord, at the end of all this, we can be working in union with you. 
So God, as we partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, I pray, Father, that we would be celebrating this wonderful and this great reality. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Trust you found that message helpful. If you have comments, feedback or questions, please email us at the following address, conversations at ebc.org.au.